been working with all sides of the spectrum, from pregnant women to birth. I have also taken doula trainings for birth and for postpartum. In today's episode, we discuss a very difficult topic, perinatal depression. If at any point during this episode, you find it difficult to listen to, please stop and seek support. You can find contact information for the Community Center of Shanghai in the show notes. They offer a wide variety of counseling from over 30 counselors in 10 different languages with both online and in-person services. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Carmen, and I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor. And I'm Ruth Green, an international birth doula. And this is the Having a Baby in China podcast. Reminder, this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. The views expressed here are the personal opinions of individuals and do not necessarily reflect any official stance or recommendation by having a baby in China. Hey, good evening. Welcome to Having a Baby in China podcast. Hey, Ruth. Hey, Jacqueline. How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. The weather's warming up. I've been going out and walking and biking. So excited. Went to my daughter's soccer game today. That was fun. She won. She scored the the final score. So that was exciting. Oh, that's super fun. You know, I feel like there's always a point of the year because the winters are so gray here. The, and then I think also because I have like all my kids, it's a little bit less now that my kids are bigger. But for the last several years, there's this point every single spring where I realize all I've done is look down, right? Because my kids are all little. So I'm just looking at the ground. And then one day, somewhere like at the end of March or beginning of April, I like look up and I'm like, whoa, everything bloomed. (laughs) And I think part of it is that like, it is just, you know, things bloom really fast. Like it kind of goes from nothing to everything blooming and changing out really, really quickly. But I think also I just we can get really lost in our own lives and like inwardly focused and just like focused on the tasks and focused on our little people and everything and kind of forget the world around us. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. And then sometimes you kind of look out and you're like, oh, it's so bright and beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anyways, I have yeah. been really, really enjoying the flowers. It's gorgeous. I love yeah. spring here. Me too. So, I love yeah. lilacs are my favorite. So I've been walking in our park that's like right around the corner and just like breathing in all the flowers and the smells. And mm-hmm. so we have a guest and I'm really excited about this topic, but I'll give a little story. So I, the last couple of years, as I'm sure like many others have struggled with like depression and mm-hmm. feeling sad and low. And I was just like, how can I get out of this and someone like had me try this activity of like writing down like every day five things Mm -hmm. that I'm thankful for and then just sitting and just reflecting and like kind of breathing through and focusing on those things and so I've kind of made it my own where like I also bring in like smell Mm. and so like I like to get a flower or something that smells good and I just breathe it in. And I think about whatever it is that I'm really thankful for that day. And just like, yeah, Mm. getting all those senses. This my morning or whenever I need a break to like calm down my (laughs) (laughs) anxious thoughts. Um, Yeah. So anyways, my little antidote. Yeah. So yeah, we have a guest today. Yeah. And all of this is super pertinent because today we are meeting with Miriam about 
prenatal and postnatal depression. So this is such an important topic. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into the statistics and everything, but it affects so many more people than I think any of us are aware of. So Miriam, thank you so much for being with us here today. And uh, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Of course. Thank you for having me. So I am a psychologist. I am from Brazil and I've been living in China for the past seven years in Shanghai. Oh. So as a psychologist, I currently work as a school counselor. Okay. I also have a connection with Community Center Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work collaboratively either because, you know, we collaborate a lot with, with their counselors, but also we do some volunteer work or, you know, just connect with them in, in many different capacities. Mm-hmm. And you were saying before you were a school counselor that you actually, well, actually you were telling me that your dad was a gynecologist. So you were kind of like born into yes. this world uh, <laughs> yes. and that you actually even like thought <laughs> yes. of becoming a, a gynecologist. So yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, my dad is an obstetrician gynecologist and exactly that's I I was born into this world of Mm -hmm. um pregnancy and you know um motherhood and all of Mm -hmm. that uh of of babies being brought into the world yeah (laughs) and like ever since I was a little girl like I knew like that's what like I want to be like my dad I just want to do what he does and uh I really love that so I did think that that was what I was going to do in life Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point in my life, for some reason, I changed a little bit the path mm-hmm. and decided to work in a more, not only with, with the body, but I think more with the minds mm-hmm. and the, the mental health uh, part of it. I was very curious, I think. I think my, I was very curious about the human being and the human mind. And, mm-hmm. and I just really liked helping people, like helping my friends with homework or whatever, with whatever they need. <laughs> I was always a good listener. So I just, you know, I just swerved a little bit the path yeah but not too much because mm-hmm. I I say that I have become what we say like obstetric psychologist or a perinatal psychologist in a way mm-hmm. uh-huh. even though like I do lots of other things here and there but this has always been something that I've, I've done and worked with in different ways or capacities mm-hmm. since studying like since the beginning of, of my studies but also like I said also, because my dad, I think, as a doctor, he was not only being a, like a medical doctor, he was also being like very, how do you say, I don't know if holistic is, is the word, but like mm-hmm. he would be very concerned not only with the physical aspects of his clients, his patients and, mm-hmm. you know, the families, but also with the emotional side, the mental health side. So he, he also started studying some kind of like uh, group therapy Mm-hmm. And so he, he started proposing to the couples, like to the pregnant family, to have like a humanized prenatal care, like mm-hmm. in a rough translation, uh, or a humanistic prenatal care. So he would have sometimes, not couples therapy, but like a couple sessions, but to uh-huh. talk about the pregnancy and their fears and their concerns. He also wrote some books on the topic. Wow. Yeah. So it's really nice. So I was always very inspired by that. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I kind of like came to this and came to become who I am and do what I do. Mm. So when I graduated, I started working as a psychologist at a maternity hospital, Mm. working with women who were, you know, having issues during their pregnancy or, or going through you know, some kind of intercurrence like a, mm-hmm. or a, a miscarriage or anything. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, so I started very early working that part. My thesis was about domestic violence against pregnant women, mm. which mm. I also believe that has to do with all the, the emotional aspects that happen mm-hmm. in whoever is around, not only with, with the person who is pregnant, but with people around them, the whole family. Yeah. It changes a lot of the dynamics. A lot of changes. So, mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a lot of big emotional changes. And I think that this is one of the things that motivated me to try to understand what happens but yeah. mainly understanding what happens to try to to help them and prevent them and just try to work to prevent it and fight against mm. it. Yeah. Yeah. And also I've been working with education. So I think I've been working with all sides of the spectrum, mm-hmm. like from, <laughs> you know, pregnant women to birth to because I've also uh, we were talking about doulas. I have also uh-huh. taken both the doula trainings for. Oh, wow. Yeah. For uh birth and for postpartum Uh so it's again I've been all immersed all in in this (laughs) in this world and after that I was like I said working with education of little babies like early years from Mm -hmm. zero starting with zero like zero to three or three to six so all the the zero to six years old Hmm. children so and their families it would be so interesting. Like, I know that there's already some research that's been done. I also know there's just so much more to be done, right? The effect of all of these things, these family changes mm-hmm. and all of that on each person in the family, but also on the, the baby to be, right? And as they grow and change and all of that too. But that's another topic for another night. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we could go so, on. <laughs> we could. We definitely yeah. could. Right. So a lot of people have heard of this term, like perinatal, prenatal, postnatal, Sometimes we hear anxiety, depression, psychosis, all of these different terms that just kind of get all mixed up. Can you talk a little bit about what do these terms mean? So I think perinatal encompasses everything. It's the whole period of gestation, like of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, right? So when Mm -hmm. you say prenatal, it's before birth. That means basically during Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Postpartum is after birth and perinatal is just everything in that mm. whole period. Okay. When you're talking about depression and mm-hmm. anxiety, so you have all sides as well. So you can have prenatal depression, you can have mm-hmm. postpartum, and, and sometimes you have nothing there and then you have postpartum depression. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you can have perinatal depression. So it's somebody who has dealt with that situation, with that emotional mm-hmm disorders from beginning to mm-hmm. after birth as well. So we've heard like baby blues and then anxiety and then depression or psychosis. So are they the same or are there different um, levels of like depression and anxiety? There are some different levels, but all of these, they are different manifestations. There are different ways of responding to the same kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it depends on each person and how on their also their psyche and their structural foundation, mm-hmm. mental foundation. It's also depending on how they're like built. That's how they're going to react or to respond mm-hmm. to certain situations in their life, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it could be through depression or you know through something that that's how they're going to respond to some situations they're going through. So it could be through depression, it could be through an anxiety, highly intense anxiety. Mm-hmm. So whatever manifests is the predominant effect that that person is 
showing. But yeah, it depends on each person, on each case, and uh, also different moments of life. Okay. So one thing is not necessarily always going to be the same anymore. And yeah, there are levels of it. Mm-hmm. Baby blues, for example, it would be different for, from depression. Mm-hmm. Because depression would be something that is more severe. And baby blues tends to be a little bit more common because like many women can have that mm-hmm. and not even realize that they are going through something. Because also it's a moment of intense emotional mm. changes and, and reactions. So it's very common. It's very normal for women to be grieving. I remember having my fourth and it was in America and they had certain days when I was supposed to go back for different appointments. And there was a particular day when I just was like so emotional and I went in for my appointment and the midwife that was meeting with me was kind of like, I could tell she was a little bit concerned, but also she even was like counting the day. She's like, oh, okay, so you're day five. Yeah, okay, this is actually really normal for you to feel this way on day five. Mm -hmm. I feel like with baby blues, we expect it. We see that it's coming often and then, you know, along with birth and then over the first couple weeks. And then usually like your hormones and your emotions kind of balance out. Whereas with anxiety or depression, it's more ongoing, right? And it, it doesn't follow that pattern that, you know, a huge proportion of the population will have. Would you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. It's something a bit more extreme in terms of it's more than just because what happens is that women, as you said, they're going through these hormonal changes and yeah. uh, imbalances, but also there is a bit of uh, for grievance for many things, for the life they had they're still getting used yes. to a new a completely new different life and each person reacts in a different way some people might yeah. be euphoric and, and, and very happy about it but some people might not they might be feeling a complete, a complete stranger in their own body in their own life so one of the things that it's very very important to remember is that there's a myth that pregnancy and motherhood is supposed to be the happiest, most yeah. joyful mm-hmm. moment in a woman's <laughs> life. And you're full of plenitude. And, and, you know, it's not like that. Oh, it's not always like that. It can be. It can be, but, but it's not. Not always. necessarily yeah. is. And even when it is, it's not like this all the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think it's very important to think of that because that can also bring a lot of those misconceptions and have those kinds of manifestations because if that's what you're expected to feel and mm-hmm. not feeling it, mm-hmm. it's going to be even worse. And then that woman is also not going to be able to talk about it because people tend to know that's, that's not how you should be feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are afraid of being judged. They are afraid of being misunderstood or not accepted. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that we do talk about the fact that there is a lot going on. Um, in a person's life and to be able to offer support or to allow them to reach out for support, we need to talk about those situations. We need to talk about this. Yeah. So out of curiosity, do you know how common postnatal or prenatal depression is? How common anxiety is? So there are some statistics. I was looking into some studies that were done back in Brazil. I'll just say some statistics to kind of like help with understanding. Okay. The thing is, If you think about 
again, we would think that pregnancy is sacred and women would be protected and women would be mm. going through the best moment of their lives and being spared of everything that would cause them to be stressed or to, you know, because you think that they only want to send good vibes or good energy or good emotions to, to their baby and start making that connection. But what happens is that 60% of the women, they're going through stress during their pregnancy. Mm. 60? For many, like 60%. six zero, not 16. Six zero. Wow. Yes. Right. That's a lot. So 60% are going through stress, which is not yeah. a disorder in itself. It's just, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, going through difficulties and everything. However, because of these things that are happening, these situations and all this stress, this accumulated stress, Mm-hmm. They might be, it might turn into other situations like anxiety, which is about 35%. Wow, so uh, still a lot. Of women. Mm-hmm. And uh, depression, sim- not depression, but depression symptoms mm-hmm. is around okay. 25%. That might, okay. of course, like a lower percentage of that might turn into real depression. But combined, like, having something like having a kind mm-hmm. of a disorder, an emotional situation, like an, a mental health disorder during pregnancy is around 50, it's about over 50% wow. of women are going through something. Yeah. So this is almost like the norm. Is that including yeah. like the normal baby blues or is that excluding that? Is that saying like the more... Um, I'm not sure about the baby blues itself because baby blues is more of a of, of a state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. it is a mental health, not a disorder, but it is something that you're going through. Yeah, but it's not um, a clinical, and I can't say it's not severe because it's harsh. Like mm-hmm. I have seen people go through this, or or patients, or even friends I've, I've had. Mm. Yeah, I've gone through this alongside with them and and it's not very easy it's very difficult so baby blues is a little more like transitional transitory like it's shorter lasts a few weeks what would be some red flags for either the moms or their partners to kind of be looking out for that this is not just like oh okay you're on day five you're hormonal let's get through this day and see how it is tomorrow but that this is more like no we actually need to look for some help i think there are many things that can be observed like you said one thing is to be emotional and to still be there and be connected with your baby and trying mm, to get mm-hmm. through. But when you see something like a depression, it is a bit more severe. That woman has no ability to take care of that baby. Like mm. they do okay. not mm-hmm. want to see the baby. Mm. And these are more extreme um, situations, but they are unable to bond, to connect Mm-hmm. Like there are impulses and, and thoughts and even suicidal thoughts or mm-hmm. thoughts of like, it's not that they're going to do that necessarily, but the thoughts are there. And mm-hmm. it's something that is very scary and they, they regret. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of, of very hard feelings involved. And you can see like, if you're at home with a, with a mother and you see when they're breastfeeding, but sometimes they don't even look at the baby. They can't connect. They don't start creating a bond with the baby. So I think you will see many manifestations like that. Sometimes they will be in bed the whole time. Like just the regular symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily only 
particular to postpartum depression. There are other manifestations as well, not only the depression, but for example, that mother that would be, let's say, cleaning that baby like over and over and over again. So it becomes more of an obsession. That would be more of the anxious, okay, the obsessive behaviors, you know, uh, the anxiety, more to the anxiety side. And um, that mother who will be... They do everything that they need to do. They're like... Yeah, task-oriented. Task-oriented, exactly. Exactly. So they're going to clean, like obsessively. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're going to give medicine. They're going to follow like strictly times for for feeding, for uh, all the routines for feeding, for sleeping. But the emotion is not there. Like and when I say emotions, just like that connection. Like they do what they are supposed to do. They do what they need to do there's something missing. Yeah. Something of a connection. Hmm. And it's not always easy to see because they're doing what they're supposed to do, like what they're supposed to do, Mm -hmm. but you can't see my air quotation marks. (laughs) 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 Someday down the line, we'll do video, like post these to YouTube or something, but not, not yet. (laughs) Just audio podcasts for now. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you've kind of listed some of these things, but what are risks of the postnatal anxiety or postnatal depression? So I would see that the greatest risk or the greatest consequence is for both of them, like for the relation Mm -hmm. of mother and baby. Mm -hmm. Of course, the baby is a tiny little being that is just being brought into this world and being welcomed or maybe not welcomed in, into the world like that, it can be very hard. It can have different difficult consequences. And, and so a mother who is not connected to, I'll go back a little bit. When you're pregnant and you mm-hmm. are going through stresses and you're going through many situations that are inhospitable, I would say, that might also cause an early birth, like a prematurity mm. situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that all cases of premature birth are connected to that. There are sometimes mm-hmm. it's just what it is. So we it's not blaming. Yeah, for sure. We're not putting blame in that in those situations. But many times, and even if it is because the mother is having a situation, there's no blame or shaming that. That's something that it happens. What we need to do is just to take the the right measures and try to help that family and try to help that mother. But this could be if if we are able to see and treat, we can prevent those situations. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's what we are talking about, right? Yeah. But yeah, you can bring premature birth. And if that mother is already going through that situation and then you have a premature baby mm-hmm. and then you have an even harder or more difficult situation to bond because let's say this baby goes into incubation or mm-hmm. like, yeah. so instead of just taking the baby home with you, you're going to have that baby spend some time in the hospital and compounding. Yeah, exactly. And even if it's not that case of the baby needing to stay in the hospital, if it's not that um, severe, I would say, but it's still the connection might be even more difficult. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible, but it's just a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about the risks because this isn't something that we should just push through. 
right? Because I think it's definitely not a blame thing, like you said. It's just if we can get the people who need help, help, hopefully we can allay some of these um, risks. And also that it is important, if at all possible, for the mother or the people around her to reach out for help to get her the support. Exactly. I could see with trouble with bonding that that could possibly result in lower breastfeeding rates. Does the research back that up or have you seen that? So there's the bonding with breastfeeding, but just the bonding in general, because we can't say that, of course, we would like to see breastfeeding as an ideal situation, but we can't say that this is the only way. Mm. And if you're not doing that, you're not bonding with your baby. So I'm not even going into that because many mothers, for many reasons, choose not to breastfeed, either by choice, choice, because that's what they want for them. And the same way we say happy wife, happy life, we say happy mama, happy baby, because it's <laughs> that's how it is. Like we need to see what's best for everyone. Yes. Right? And I'm sure if what is also better for the mother propense to be better for the baby as well. Yeah. So sometimes it's a choice. Sometimes for some reason that mother was not able to breastfeed. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they are not going to bond. Yeah. Because it's a different situation. It's a different connection. She's still able to bond with the baby through other ways or through other kinds of feeding. So I wouldn't make establish that connection prematurely, but I would say the bonding may not be there just because, not necessarily yeah. because of breastfeeding or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the consequences, as we were saying, going more into psychological terms, you would say, mm-hmm. The origin of, of, of life and the foundation of our psyche, it comes through that connection. It comes mm-hmm. through the look. It comes through the touch. It comes through language. Language is also pretty much the foundation of our life, of our psyche. And when you have a mother who is responsive, who is communicating, who is mirroring the baby. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of communication through and some people may say well but my baby doesn't talk yet and mm-hmm. yeah they don't but not with words but they do communicate with you yes. communicating mm-hmm. or talking is not necessarily only with words with mm-hmm. verbal yeah. responses right but it's a look it's a, a physical reaction sometimes you touch the baby and the baby responds to your touch or they look at you even at a tiny little being can look at you and see and respond with their eyes and you can communicate with them. And if that connection is not there, right? If that Mm -hmm. communication, if those touches or any kind of interaction is not there, what is this baby being fed off? And I'm talking about not necessarily uh, because again, the mother can be breastfeeding. So that's another situation. So they can be breastfeeding without even looking. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Just being functional, but not necessarily being there. So what I would say is that when your baby is looking at you and starts making sounds and you mirror that back, that is the engagement. That is the connection. So when we say, oh, but, you know, depression can be, or these mental health disorders, they are genetic. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there might be a part of it that is genetic, but there's also a part of it that is environmental. It's contextual. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily because my mother had depression mm-hmm. that genetically I am more propensed to have depression, mm-hmm. but also because maybe I went through that depression with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some part of that depression, my mother's depression had consequences in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can manifest early in life. It can manifest when I am 30 years old or mm-hmm. when I become a mother or a father, right? That those yeah. feelings and those situations that you lived at a very early, like the, those are the very first imprints mm-hmm. of your life, of your, in your brain, in your affection. And yeah. that's going to be with you. This makes my heart like squeeze because um, my grandfather died when my grandmother was pregnant with their youngest And the story goes that he actually died on her due date. And then every year in that month that she was born, her mom would be quite depressed, right? And so she, to some degree, carried that, I think. I remember her saying, like, it was hard for her to connect with her birthday, right? Because of that very early, yeah, that early imprinting, you know, which... No, nobody can blame grandma, you know, for, for struggling Mm -hmm. during that. Like, that's why we're saying like, there's no blame. It's just trying to get people the support and the help that they need for sure. so that hopefully we can mitigate some of these risks. But also the way we deal with those situations. So again, talking about it, raising awareness, she could also tell a story like, you know, when you were born, this happened and I was very sad, but it doesn't have to be something that you're going to carry through life. And that's the other thing I was going to say, like. Yes, because we want to, of course, we want to avoid, we want to prevent those situations so Mm -hmm. that they don't become that person. Mm -hmm. But because it happened, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be doomed and that's Mm -hmm. that's the life Mm -hmm. you're going to have. This is why we are talking about this, because we can try to help, we can try to prevent. And a person who maybe had in their early years of life and kind of have been caring because if nothing has been done until then, once you realize that and you're able to do something about it and you're able to work through it, there's always something that can be done. Yeah. Yeah. I would believe there's always something that can be done if you if you try. Yeah. So I think we're going to face hardships. I mean, that's just life. There's going Mm -hmm. to be hard things. And like, you know, something like this happens. It does make you to be who you are. But then how are you going to move through that? Are you going to be able to, and I think ideally is to be able to take that situation and grow and become Mm -hmm. a stronger more resilient human being or is it going to cripple you and paralyze you you know so at the end of the day being able to get the help that is needed then hopefully can cause that growth exactly yeah and the way you're going to manage that situation the way you're going to deal with the hardship that's what's gonna make it or break it let's say or that's what's going to as you said it's part of your life it's part of your story but the way you're going to deal with it it's going to make huge difference uh the narrative of your story can change the course or can dictate the course of yeah Yeah. you can take i'm gonna tell you a little tale and there's this amazing psychoanalyst that who does this very work back home Uh and we were having a class once and she told this 
it's just something that a little story that stuck with me. So, for example, two situations like this baby. Okay. The baby's been born and the baby slips and falls head on the floor. Mm. Like okay. that story can become, oh my gosh, you were in such a hurry that you fell right off your head. Like it can become a <laughs> funny story. It can become a funny tale. Like, mm. look at you. You were in a rush or you were born making a splash. Right? <laughs> yeah. Or it can be like, oh my gosh, you know, this baby, when you were born, you, you fell hat on and we were very worried about you. And then you become that baby mm. that mm. were born falling on your head and may mm-hmm. have had damages for the rest of your life. So mm-hmm. the way you're going to tell the story, the way you're going to celebrate your funny moments or your, or treat that like a dramatic story or a funny story or you know, however yeah. situation might be, even when you talk about other things like adoption, like you were brought into this world because you were brought into our family because we really wanted to be with you mm. or like, oh, you know, yeah, he had a very difficult story. He had a very difficult situation. And then we brought mm-hmm. it. So the way you're going to look at the facts of life and deal with them is going to make a big difference yeah. positively or negatively in your life. Yeah, I remember a few months ago, actually, I had this trip on the other, it was like an hour and a half away. And it was like, in my mind, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Like the taxi dropped us off at the wrong place. We had to walk forever. The thing went on longer than it was expected. And then afterwards, I was tired. I went to Starbucks and they got my drink wrong and I had to reorder. And, you know, and, and then I thought, why am I thinking of it this way? How about... I was paid to go to a new part of town that I've never been to before. (laughs) It was a beautiful day that I got to be out in the sun and with my boys and all this stuff. And then I went to Starbucks and they messed up my drink. But that meant I got two drinks instead of just one drink because, you know, like it was just interesting. It was literally the same exact narrative and I could have told it two different ways. However, I mean, I think when we're talking about depression, somebody who's struggling with depression, one of the symptoms of it is that they can't switch the narrative, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think with my loss that I struggled with some postpartum depression and I did go and see the doctor at one point, but I was already pulling out of it at that point. And so he was asking questions like, do you, like, are you able to enjoy things? Are there things that you do just for fun? And at that point, you know, I'm like, I have four kids. There's no time for fun. <laughs> Like I'm homeschooling with four kids and, you know, like there's no time for fun. But I was by that point able to see that there were the highs and the lows and everything like there was the spectrum. But when I looked back, the periods of time that I think I was really struggling, I just remember being in this like fog where I couldn't pull out of it. Like I could get up and be functional. Like you said, like I could make dinner. I fed the kids. Nobody went hungry. They got their lessons. But I just was in this fog that just, yeah every day did what I needed to do and just Mm -hmm. felt blah. You know, I didn't, I wasn't Mm -hmm. sobbing all day, but I also just wasn't, it was a long, you know, few, several months, but you're trying to get through. Yeah. Well, the good thing about being, being the fourth is that there are three other ones to (laughs) give a lot of, (laughs) a lot of affection or, you know, a lot of, (laughs) it's true. Yes. One thing that I want to follow up with what you're saying, Mm. you're saying that you were, I mean, you had three other children and you Mm kind of know 
how things are supposed to be or not. And even if you, if it's your first, like you, if you are a person who is highly aware, who's, you know, aware of yourself, your feelings Mm -hmm. of how you think you're supposed to be feeling of you. So when you were asking me about how to realize, how Mm -hmm. to notice these Mm -hmm. situations when they're happening. So I think there's context. So Maybe you are a person or who notices this. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe mm-hmm. you're the person who's going to notice that something's wrong. Maybe you're just so deeply ingrained in that mm-hmm. situation that you can't. And also if, you, if you're not that aware. But also the people around you, it also depends on how connected you are. If mm-hmm. you have a good support network, if you have a family around you. And family maybe because we also need to say that we are in China. Mm. yes Mm -hmm. i mean at least we are not everybody who might be listening to the podcast who knows (laughs) but let's say let's think about people who are not in their home countries or not surrounded by family for many reasons right uh so you can have the support of your family who is around you i think when we were for example going through lockdowns and everything we didn't have access to our families Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah But there's both sides. So we didn't have our immediate family, let's say our parents, grandparents, you know. But maybe depending on some countries that wouldn't have, you would have your family around you, but you wouldn't have the extra help that we Mm -hmm. have here in China. Mm -hmm. So maybe the support network is an IE, Mm -hmm. is a person Mm -hmm. who's helping you in the house. Or Mm -hmm. we also have here in China, we have those USL IEs that help you with Mm -hmm. everything in the beginning. So those people around you, depending on how you're connected, be a family member, your partner, and I, your help in the house, depending on how connected you are, if you're completely disconnected, then that might not be the case. But if you talk to that person, have conversations, and you will be able to gauge and see what's happening. Yeah. So I would say it may come from different sources, but I would say either a person who's very aware or a surrounding community or support network that is very aware. It's important yeah. to pay attention to the signs. I would like to recommend a movie that is not easy to watch. Okay. I don't remember the year. We can just check on IMDb later. But mm-hmm. it's a German movie called okay. The Stranger in Me. Mm-hmm. I watched it many, many years ago. But it was a difficult, it's a slow movie, but it's a very beautiful and very clear movie about postpartum depression. Okay. And this, you're talking about not baby blues, not anxiety. It's like real hardcore depression. So it's not mm-hmm. for everyone, I guess, to be I was going to say, would you recommend people to watch it in pregnancy? Or are you thinking more for like no. the support, the people? Okay. So not well, if you're listening well, and you're I pregnant would... or just had a baby. It might, you know, you, use discretion if you're watching it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not the time, right? Yeah. But if you're somebody who wants to be more aware so that you can support the people around you, it would be a good one to check out. Good. I just wrote that down. So great. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So you're saying sometimes someone can recognize the depression and struggle themselves. Sometimes if they have a good support network around them, then those people can like also recognize to Mm -hmm. see when they're struggling. So what would you say for those people who are around this mother or maybe father that's struggling with postpartum depression, 
what can they say to help support them, maybe help them become more aware, and then hopefully maybe help them get, you know, help that they need? I think the most important thing is more than say, Mm. is to be there and to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that presence is the most important thing, is the support. Mm. It's just being there for them, asking for what they need, like, what, what do you need? How can I help? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people, it's not always clear. One thing, though, that I am also going to say that it's not always easy for a mother to, to reach out, to say mm-hmm. something, and sometimes they don't realize what's going on. But So if you can have that presence of, you know, coming and asking. Yeah. And even if they're not going through what you think they're like, if it's even if it's not a lot, if it's just a normal day, it can be very overwhelming in the especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just checking on them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes also uh, I've seen situations in which the person would just keep it all to themselves and not necessarily reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when they did, they were like, Oh, I, I was expecting my family to just know about me, to just come and, you know, and sometimes they are also dealing with things and mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're not paying attention to you. It's just, they also sometimes not always understand what you're going through, what's going through your head. So also if you are feeling many feelings, many strong feelings and, and you can't just try to reach out, just Ask mm-hmm. to be heard or ask to communicate and talk about what you're feeling yeah. to someone who's close to you. And maybe that will make that person more aware and that person will be able to reach out more and realize what's happening. So I think one thing is what to do. I think it's be there, ask, offer support, see in what ways they need to be supported because that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Ask how they will feel help mm-hmm. what kind of support they need what kind of help they need and sometimes you can't do what they're asking you to do but see if yeah. there is a way for you to match your 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 needs and your expectations and what's possible for everyone to do but also i think it's important to for the people around to recognize that this is not out of uh, laziness or out of yes poor will like you're not doing this because you're lazy or because you don't want to do it or because you're just like a lousy mother or a lousy parent. Mm-hmm. We also need to recognize that fathers, uh, both like mothers, fathers, yeah. parents mm-hmm. in general, it depends on what kind of couple you are. Like everybody who is a parent in that situation, especially if it's a first child, they're all trying to connect, to understand this new role, to become something in that new role. So it's not only for the person who had the baby, yeah, but for the people around, uh, for the other parents as well, right? Yeah. And I think it's important, yeah, like you were saying, like if somebody is asking for help, know that it probably took a lot for them to be able to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's not because they're lazy. If they're asking for help, they really do need it and to work Mm -hmm. together to, like you said, figure out how you can mesh your, Mm -hmm. your needs and your abilities together. Yeah. I think it's it's important to try to recognize this condition, this psychic condition as a mental health condition. I think mm-hmm. this is important mm-hmm. to recognize and to understand and respect and be 
non-judgmental. I think this is one of the most important things. Do not judge that person who's going through a lot and to be non-judgmental. So you can say like, how can you not like this tiny little baby? Yeah. Don't say that. (laughs) That's not what's happening. It's not something that you can't control. So the person who's going through this, they cannot control. So I think there needs to be understanding, right? Yeah. So not necessarily feed into the feelings of inferiority or um, impotence. Like you're feeling very impotent. You're feeling powerless. Mm -hmm. You're feeling weak already. And and if people start like, how can you do, how can you not do this? How can you not like it? How can you uh, not be happy? So that's not helping at all. Yeah. Well, we're just about coming up on time right now, but are there resources available within China? Like you mentioned, most of us listening here are in China. We're not in our home countries where there's a, you know, a wide network. And I should say even like a wide network of our own language, right? Like I could find a psychologist in Chinese probably fairly easily, but finding one in English would be quite hard in my city. So what kind of resources are there within China? So I think that it is not always easy. That's for sure. I think fortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I think technology is there, Mm -hmm. right? Unfortunately is that the world went through a huge change that boosted um, a lot of this technology use that was not being used before. Yeah. The one good thing about the pandemic is that lots of things that were once not accessible to us became a little bit more accessible because we had to learn to survive Mm -hmm. uh, and to connect in different ways. So I think there's that advantage to the moment that we are in right now, to the moment that we are living in. Worst case scenario, you can find uh, therapy online. So Mm -hmm. I would say that it is very nice to have the possibility of being with a person. But also if you think about a new mother, sometimes, I mean, if they can make it out to a clinic or to to see a person in person, that would be good. But think that they might not be just because of the whole context of the whole situation of Mm -hmm. having a little baby at home and maybe not having Mm -hmm. extra help or if you are depressed in a way that you really can't get the car or get, you know, mm-hmm. go somewhere, maybe having other kinds of resources that would make that possible could be highly beneficial. So doing it online or, or you know, having some, some other resources yeah. to make it more accessible would be highly beneficial. The other thing is it can be therapy, individual therapy, mm-hmm. but it can also be support network so and also we need to understand especially in china it's not always easy it can be expensive yeah it's not always financially accessible to everyone though it's true there are ways that if you need to if you really don't have the means and you really need that kind of support there are ways around it i know for example ccs i know that they do subsidized counseling depending on the situation so and i believe that many other places may have the same it's a matter of trying to find the resources around you but yes you could still have that possibility but in addition to that you can have maybe group therapy yeah i know that currently we don't necessarily have a group for expectant parents or postpartum parents new parents but we can have so i know that ccs has 
this infinite possibilities, infinite pull of possibilities. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> we just need, if there's a demand, yeah, I know that they can meet the demand and try to set up a support group in, in whatever is necessary, right? Uh, so you have that, that may also help to, to balance costs. You may have even a support network within your community. Uh, you can have a group of mothers because sometimes, yes, therapy is great, but you can also have a group of friends that can just yeah. mm -hmm. meet and talk over coffee and, and just know your community. And sometimes if you're, if you have an older child that is at school or even when you start, your, your children start going to school and you have a community of parents or even the mothers that were there and you met at the hospital or in your prenatal classes, those are also people that may be going through the same thing and you can connect yeah. with those people. And that's sometimes very natural. I see that happening a lot here in China and in other places in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So these are good resources. But again, I would recommend if nothing else, if no other resources available in person immediately, you can try to find online therapy. Yeah. But also... If we are talking about languages, again, because we are interconnected today in this world, like we are online for everything, or we can be if we need to, mm -hmm. you could try to find resources in your own country. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I am from Brazil, and I know that there are people that I know that maybe are not very confident in English or in Chinese, and they would rather be talking to somebody who speaks their language. So if yeah. you are able to kind of just the time zone, mm -hmm. you know, you do your therapy at night while it's morning in the other side, on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. If you can find a therapist that you can connect in your own language, that's also a possibility nowadays, right? Why not take advantage of it? Yeah, definitely. So I know that for some cases that medication is highly beneficial for some people and possibly even like necessary. Are these medications available in China? Do you happen to know? Like, are they willing to give them to pregnant or postnatal clients? So in that case, I cannot talk about what kinds of medications mm -hmm. are available. Yeah. Okay. But I can tell you that whatever medication you would need to take, especially if you're pregnant or if you're feeding, I, I wouldn't say that you should take anything just without any support. So No, definitely. Definitely the doctor. The way to go would be going to a psychiatrist that will follow that process with you. So yeah. if you are going through a doctor, they would be able to suggest or to prescribe whatever you need. So in that case, if it's a prescription, I don't see why or how that would be impossible to have access to those medications in China. Yeah. So I would say just talk to a psychiatrist. Possibly you would go through different paths before that. Maybe your gynecologist will recommend you to go see a psychiatrist or if you have a therapist, you know, there are ways to get there. Yeah. I would recommend doing something only with the prescription and the follow-up of a psychiatrist. Yeah. And I just want to say to those who are listening, like if you go to your first doctor and they say, oh, you know, you can't for whatever reason, or if you're supporting someone who's struggling, go to another doctor, even mm -hmm. if you have to travel to another city, a, a tier one city or something, like get the support that you need. If you're meeting with a psychologist in your own country or online or whatever, and they're saying, you know, I really think you need to look into medication. If the first doctor that you see in person in China mm -hmm. says, no, we don't really give that to pregnant people. You just need to suck it up and 
keep going, you know, ask for a second and a third opinion. Mm -hmm. Just because one doctor in China tells you that, you know, seek out another one. I think this is the same for every condition, right? True. Mm -hmm. But I do know there are some doctors that will prescribe it in China. So just make sure that if you feel like you need it, or if your psychologist feels like you need it, you know, but it is possible in China. A good doctor would know what to do. Yeah. Find that good doctor. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you mentioned CCS. So I know what CCS is, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about CCS? So CCS stands for Community Center Shanghai. And they offer many activities for um, I mean, the community in general. I would say more the expat community, but not only, not necessarily only the expats. But it started as a place to be like home away from home for people who were away from home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they offer a zillion services like um, physical activities and cooking lessons and like, classes mm -hmm. and language mm -hmm. classes. So they have a myriad of things and activities, but they also have a counseling department. In that counseling department, we have a counseling director, this um, Carrie Jones, who still works with us. And now we have Pete Rogers. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole bunch of other support people, support staff that do an amazing work to to help with finding the right counselor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have counselors of different places, different nationalities who do have sometimes Well, we can't have all the languages in the world, but we have <laughs> well, we, we have some some languages, and um, that's also helpful. Yeah, and they're all very good and experienced counselors. So as we were talking about, sometimes if you need subsidized counseling, there's a process mm -hmm. that you go through to you know explain the situation. But yeah, it might be possible. There's also a few collaborations with other institutions like Inward. Mm -hmm that they also collaborate in cases of sexual abuse, for example. Okay. There's kind of like a package that is offered to people who go through situations like this, like counseling session or some subsidized counseling session, examination mm -hmm. at a hospital in the city, at Ferguson Clinic. Mm. Yeah, so we have some things in place for situations like that. Yeah, I've heard the name Community Center of Shanghai for probably more than a decade now, for a long time, but sought you guys out because I've just seen so many people struggle with getting support as expats over mm -hmm. here and yeah, wanting to really help connect people with, you know, resources. So I know that Flora and I have talked about it. I know you and I have talked about it, but there is the option for having like a online postnatal or prenatal depression kind of support group or like group therapy or something like that. So if anybody is listening and just is interested in that, please do private message Jacqueline or I. You can always find Jacqueline at havingababyinchina.com or myself, Ruth, at havingababyinchina.com because, yeah, we want to make sure that you guys have the support that you need because, like Marian's saying, <laughs> like it's not just a few people. It's not the rare case of person who's struggling with this. This is possibly like 50% of new moms or pregnant moms that are, are really dealing with a lot that they need a little bit of extra support. 
And if you are around someone who is pregnant or had a baby or even not, I mean, I think that our whole society, right, there's been a lot of improvement, but continues to need to be more improvement of awareness of what depression looks like and how to really support people that it's not just buck up buttercup, right? You know, it's, yeah, yeah, let's get you the support that you need so that you can really thrive and be the best you and grow from those struggles rather than sink down beneath them. And as we were saying, in Shanghai specifically, we have a few locations. In this. There's the main center in Udon. There are a few other locations that oh, okay. people can see clients in person. Mm-hmm. But there's also the option of um, meeting a counselor online. And that has an advantage of being able to see overseas all over China. Yeah. And there's always that option of having kind of a like hybrid, right? So I know a lot of people prefer to do like maybe one or two sessions where you would just travel to Shanghai and have that really like in person, get to know each other. Get a connection. And then continue online. Sometimes we still need that human face-to-face connection as much as we want to move on with this digital. Yeah. Exactly. You just establish a first connection, a a bond. Remember we were talking about the look and and then uh, (laughs) it's the same, especially when you're most vulnerable. Yes. It's totally fine to have that need. And mm-hmm. of course, continue whenever it's possible. And if it's not, we do the best we can. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Miriam, for being with us today. Really appreciate your time. And thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here and to talk about such an important topic and that I'm so passionate about. So yeah. mm. if I can share a little bit of what I know and what I've been doing, it's my greatest pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much. Well, we really appreciate it. Listeners, please write in questions. We can always shoot them off to Miriam and and have a follow-up episode or, yeah, like we said, start a group or, yeah, whatever y'all need. So, all right, Miriam, thank you just one more time. I'm just so thankful that you're here because it's such a difficult topic to talk about and to be able to have a professional resource, both to the support people, but also to the individuals and to give people a place to reach out or, you know, sometimes it's just helpful to know that there are resources there. It's just so helpful. So thank you again. And um, yeah, Jacqueline, yeah. always good to chat with you. And yeah, well, until next time. All right. Until next time, Jacqueline. Bye. Bye. and not get through half these questions (laughs) because that's how it is with us we're good at talking